want to echo uh, just a few words again of uh, God bless you to each person, but how honored we were to have uh, Brother Robbie, Sister Betty in service with us today. This kind of came about kind of impromptu because of them being in Mountain View, and um, but for them to be able to come down on Mission Sunday, we usually show a video. We had live action today of a living, beating heartbeat here on the platform to just share with you. And I'll be excited to bless them. Um, God's blessed our church financially, and we would be, we're honored to be able to come alongside and just be able to bless them. Uh, and then Alyssa and I, Alyssa's uh, filling in for mom. Mom is in, uh, Sister Sharita is watching from uh, Portsmouth, Massachusetts, right next to Newport, Rhode Island, where she flew out there to be with, uh, with uh, our Brown family out there where they were going through a little bit of a, a medical issue. And so she's getting to spend some time with uh, grandbabies, like she loves to do. And I've got a little grandbaby boy, uh, Benaya, just had a birthday uh, on Friday, two years old. And so he's probably watching now, too. So granddad's telling you happy birthday from live action here in the, in the sanctuary at First Assembly. I've always waited my whole life to be able to do that. I saw him interview all those sports people all those years. And finally, now I get to be able to say that here. So, but I do want to... Uh, also say a very special God bless you today to, um, to the Pierce family, most particularly Sister Allison is here to my left who said goodbye to her dad, and uh, I see some other family members that looks like they've come in beside them as well, said goodbye to her dad yesterday as Brother Al Barnhart, who's a member of our fellowship and our assembly, he was promoted into God's eternal kingdom yesterday, amen, and we rejoice for him, right? And, but we grieve for and mourn with this family. Amen. So please uphold their family in prayer and uh, that God would give them strength and his wife, Lynette, um, as well, who is a member of our fellowship and our assembly. So I appreciate each of you coming out today. And uh, I'm just really excited about sharing the word with you. I'm going to tell you a little bit how this came about. It's been a little bit quiet in here. I want the journey against to know we're used to a little bit more lively. And uh, I, I've even told the... Um, the staff to uh, at times I say you know sometimes it's okay we can talk about the hogs game from the pulpit but sometimes let's not get get it in our mind it can be distracting a little bit but you know it may have affected today it's okay they're going to bounce back it's be it's better than it's been in a long time right <laughs> so just you know just press forward through it just a little bit so um, I want to ask you here let me take in just a moment as you're getting ready to turn with me to the book of Ephesians. And you're going to remain seated for just a little while, and then we're going to stand on just the reading of one verse, because I'm going to read just a few verses out of the book of Ephesians that are probably familiar with you, because I know they're familiar to you, because I've preached from this text multiple times. And I want to just be transparent before you. I don't always do so. I try to. I don't want to be somebody that is a facade in front of you, a hypocrite in essence, and one thing one way, and, and, and doing something entirely different. But as a pastor, I really like to have a good week of personal devotion and study so that my mind is stayed upon the Lord. And, uh, but I didn't, I was unsuccessful in that journey this past week because I, I like to, when, to be honest, when I finish preaching on Sunday morning, by Sunday evening, I'm trying to cast my mind towards the following Sunday. So I can think and ponder and begin to seek the Lord and 
and ask God, God, what, what's the word for our fellowship? And then I had several things that kind of just got on my mind this week, and I just kind of struggled a little bit. And Friday is my sermon prep day, and I often call it my heart preparation day when I, 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 I stay at home in the office without any small children anymore at home. It's much easier to study at home than it is at church. And, um, but but I, I just battled back and forth, bounced back and forth, just wrestled, couldn't find. I've learned after 25 years of pastoring, though, is that you just got to wait on God. If it's not there, you don't force it. You just wait, wait on the Lord in his time. The right thing will come at the right moment. And uh, obviously, I'd like to be prepared on Friday so I can, this is what I call it, like a cook. I like to simmer it on Saturday. <laughs> I like it to be on that back burner just a little bit because some of you know, uh, soup's always a lot better on the second day. And so, but you know, that just didn't happen. I, but something happened, oddly enough, that triggered the direction that I would take for this message this uh, morning on Friday evening, pretty late, Alyssa and I there at the house by ourselves just kind of conversing. And I was actually watching, and she watched just a little bit with me and said, I know I shouldn't gain the inspiration of my sermon from watching a television program. However, it was not um, Archie Bunker or anything like that. It was rather, it was a documentary of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and it was a documentary particularly of one of the scrolls that was found in cave number one in Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in 1947. And in that particular cave, cave number one, a scroll was discovered called the War Scroll. And the War Scroll described an epic battle, uh, an almost an Armageddon-like apocalyptic battle that could be perceived as the battle of the ages, that was perceived as a battle between light and darkness. It was simply entitled the battle between the sons of light and the sons of darkness. Now, many believe that that battle was, was being prophesied by the writer of one of the Essenes that were the actual inhabitants of that particular area where the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered was in anticipation of the climatic battle that was going to take place between the Roman Empire and the Jewish rebellion that had started in 64 AD. But by 70 AD, the Jewish rebellion, to a degree, was not totally squashed, in essence, because of the destruction of the temple. But there, began, there was lingering uh, pockets of rebellion, and eventually, when the last Jewish stronghold at Masada fell in 73 AD, that ended the rebellion. So what I'm saying is, is that prophecy may have not found its fulfillment because the Jews did not win. The Jews did not win in that battle, that physical conflict between the Roman Empire. But I want you to know today that there's a, still a battle that's taking place between light and darkness. And, and maybe they missed it, if I can say that very respectfully. Maybe they missed it because they were looking for a physical battle, a physical conflict with with, 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 as Paul said, carnal weapons. But how many of you know today that we don't fight that kind of battle? But we're still fighting a battle. And so we're going to go let that lead us into this text in Ephesians chapter number 4. And then we're going to remain uh, seated until we'll read at one verse of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians 5. But in Ephesians chapter number 4, uh, we're reading at verse number 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as the other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. I love that passage of Scripture. You're probably reading from a different translation. Often the word vanity there is futility. I've seen it go as far as stupidity. 
in other translations. And so, obviously, Paul is exposing a contrast between the other nations, the Gentile nations, the way they walk, the way they think, the way they perceive life, the way they relate to one another, the, rela- the way that they perceive um, uh, of a relationship with God or God's being in a plural. He said, you can't walk and live like the other Gentiles. Why is that? Because their understanding, verse 18, their understanding is darkened. Think about that. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. They have been, in past feeling, have given themselves over to lasciviousness and to work all uncleanness with greediness. Why do I like the King James English? It's because you do not know what lasciviousness means without looking it up. So thus it promotes study even as you read. Correct? Because I know you don't use that word every day. Like, I've been telling my kids, you've been too lascivious. You can't be in slipping into that. But you have not so learned Christ, right? But you have not so learned Christ. If so, be that you have heard him and have been taught by him, and the truth is in Jesus. That's a good place to say amen, correct? The truth is in Jesus. Now, we're going to turn to the fifth chapter, even though I am going to, revert to uh, refer to one of the other verses here towards the conclusion of the message. But the fifth chapter, Paul, Paul continues this thought, and the only reason I've interrupted, it's only for the sake of time, because from verse number 17 all the way to the, to the end of the sixth chapter, Paul is aligning the, the Ephesian believer with a different way of living, a different way of thinking, a different way of talking, a complete change in character, conduct, in, in relationships with people that you know, purpose, uh, you know, the value that you give to yourself, that you believe that you have a God agenda in your heart that's given to you based upon your profession of faith. And so here Paul says in verse 6, don't let anybody deceive you. I mean, even though you have to guard yourself from what vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. But don't be a partaker with them. Don't forget that. Verse number 8, for you were sometimes darkness. We were, we were just like them. But what are we now? We We are light in the Lord, walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Let me just clarify for you. The the ungodly do not know what God approves of. Right? Are you out there? The ungodly people that whose understanding is darkened can look at the same thing that you and I look at, and they can see that as acceptable, an acceptable way of living. But those of us that have been illuminated by the light see it entirely different, right? And it's our responsibility to prove or to validate what God says is acceptable, correct? Let's go farther, verse 10, verse 11 then. So have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them or expose them. We'll talk about this in a moment. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done to them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest or revealed by what? By the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is the light. Wherefore, he saith, Awake thou that sleepeth, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Now, there's no good place to draw a line on, but I wanted to, in- to include these last four verses here before I did draw a line. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, in light of the fact that you are a child of the light. Our objective then is to redeem the time, recognizing that the days are what? You would think that the apostle was writing during our generation. 
correct? Wherefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Come on, somebody. Amen. Now we'll go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll stand and honor the reading of the Word of God. One verse of Scripture, if you will, if you would with me to put a, an exclamation to this and to allow us to extract our subject matter, which has already been revealed to you today here. Verse number 5 says, Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. And so today, I want to talk to you from this thought called to be children of light, called to be children of light. How many know that's our calling? We are called to be children of light. We're going to ask the Lord to help us make this known to us here today. Father, I love you, and I'm humbled. I'm humbled to be in the presence of godly men and women whose life and testimony challenges me and sharpens me, Father God, in the sense of that when I arrive here on a Sunday morning, I have to bring them something that's going to cause them to understand the call of God that's in their life through Christ Jesus. Father, in greater detail, that they are called to be children of light. I pray today, God, that you will help, Father God, us to understand. Let there be an illumination upon the text, the multiple texts that we're going to read today. I pray that you will quicken the word in our hearts and our minds, and that God, as, it's, as Joe has already prayed, truly let preaching be easy in this house today. It's in Jesus' name, and all God's children said... Amen and amen, and you can be seated. Once again, in my personal um, accountability to you, I try to be transparent at times, and I try to share with you when I'm struggling, which I don't struggle in a lot of particular areas. Um, I try to live life with a smile. I try to uh, have hope and joy and purpose and even passion. And, uh, but but I, I've shared with you that I do have a little bit of an internal dilemma that I wrestle with, and, and some of it is bound, perhaps it's because my father was in the military, I was in the military, my sons are in the military. There's a, a part of me that has deep-seated patriotism. I have three sons in the military right now as we speak, and, uh, and so I have both. I have a, a patriotic heart and I have a pastor's heart. And, and sometimes they're folded together uh, in, in a nice uh, complementary balance, and I'm able to maintain that balance. And then sometimes there's a conflict that's waging, uh, uh, raging within myself or in my own heart because I often ask myself, how far do I seek to influence this audience that God gives me to preach to, even in the context of some measure of spiritual patriotism? And because I believe that you can be spiritual and be patriotic at the same time. I believe that you can support this government, you can support the governments of men, you can honor and recognize and pray for good and solid civil government and for righteousness in the land and, and, and all of those things and also at the same time not co-mingling, not folding it together to the degree that you think that the government of the United States and, and our patriotism is the same as the kingdom of God because it's not. Right, And so you have to be able to walk a very fine line and be able to discern the difference. And yet often it does produce a little in, of internal conflict. How much can I as a pastor defend the good of our nation in contrast with the bad? Because there's both. Right? How do I maintain biblical balance? How do I help you to see things from a broader perspective, but particularly a biblical perspective? How do I, it's easier to, it's easier to awake a, an awareness in the, 
I'm going to say this, in the senior saints among us than it is in the younger generation that's among us. The younger generation, even the, the, the students that are in school and they're thinking about, you know, tomorrow and they're thinking about their athletic event or they're thinking about, uh, you know, uh, being in, in band or being in, on the drama team or whatever or just the drama being a teenager. Hello, somebody. And yet at the same time, I don't want to leave them out of my sermons because, yes, a 15-year-old can get a word from God and begin to cast vision and learn of what God's called them to be, who God's called them to be and to do, correct? And so with this, so I, so I, so I wrestle with this because I want to bring us all to a biblical perspective and yet at the same time, I've got to, be, I've got to, I've got to hope that my interpretation is right or I'll stand before God and give account where I led you in error. Led you in error that I, that I filtered it through the wrong filter. That when I looked at the things that were happening in the world and attempted to bring a word to our church, and I perhaps led you down the wrong word. So that's the plight of a pastor. is because there are some things that you can't be silent on. You just simply cannot. You have to. You know, I've told you before that I, I, I'm not wearing my, my, black, my black jersey to church as often because, you know, I, I, the black robe regimen that I spoke about, and I tried to create this moment on Wednesdays or Thursdays with, uh, in my opinion, and yet I haven't even prepared one in the last couple of weeks because I found myself, I just can't keep it out of my Sunday morning sermons. And you know what? But I can't apologize for it because you need to have a broader perspective than what you get from Fox News or CNN and maybe even CBN. And so Scripture uses the metaphor. Let's go a little bit farther into this. Scripture uses the metaphor of light and darkness to teach principles of faith. This is, matter of fact, even while we were worshiping, I was just reminded that the very first words that God uttered that were been captured by the pen of a biblical writer that he uttered out of his mouth was, let there be light, and the light pierced the darkness. And so very quickly, again, this principle or this metaphor has been discovered all through the Word of God, and it's because it reveals principles of faith, relationship, and responsibility to God. Here's some of the things I'm going to drop in your heart to just kind of get you all on board with me for a few moments. The nations of this world, both individuals and corporately, are in darkness, spiritual darkness. Men and women that have been enlightened by scriptural truth are in the light, correct? And I want to say it again, there's, there's still right and wrong, there's still good and bad, there's also truth and error. And, and, and so there are some things that are worth dying for. There are some things in your life it's worth that you plant the flag, as I've told you before, and say, you know what, I can't give up this hill right here in order to maintain the cause that God's put in my heart. And you and I have to be willing to sell ourselves out for uh, certain things. And I think what you, you should be willing to sell yourself out for in this generation, perhaps above all other generations, is for truth. Right, to be able to say this is right and this is wrong. This is, that's not truth. I don't care who said it. I, there's a lot of things that we could bring up, some of which I'll, I will hear in a few moments. But we've got to be able to discern between error and truth. 
right? Individually, people's understanding can be darkened. Did you catch that 18th verse? I highlighted of the fourth chapter there in Ephesians for just a moment. But we could even, if you can, Lord, might bring it back up maybe. But if not, that's fine. But it just speaks about the understanding being darkened. Look at this. Their understanding is darkened. They are alienated from the life of God that is in them. There's ignorance in them. They're, able to, they're not able to see because there's a darkness in what? In their understanding. Understanding is a gift from God. Understanding is something that you and I should pray for on a regular basis. You can have knowledge, but if you don't have understanding, that knowledge can be more dangerous for you than your ignorance. And so understanding is when you say, God, I want to pray that you open the eyes of my understanding. Not only would I know, but I would understand the intent, the purpose of what you are doing in the earth or what this means to me, what this means to us, what this means to us corporately. Solomon said, in all of your getting, in all of your getting, if everybody wants to get something, if you want to get anything, get understanding. You need it. And the world doesn't have the understanding that God hopes for them to have because they've not come to him and sought him in humility and repentance. Romans chapter 1, let me give you a quick example of this, just the three, I think three verses. There's quite a few verses of Scripture today, and I appreciate those who work in the booth with us up there each week because they're very good. And today it's Dwayne and Lori and our own Pastor Jace up there as well today. And they help us to be able to bring this to the screen, which helps you as you're listening to me communicate, correct? Right? It says, because this is in Romans 1, and to one degree, if we're just being honest, this is a looking back in the past. Even Paul, 2,000 years ago, is referring to when he looked back in the past. And so I need just a little bit more monitor right here. It'll help me. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but they became vain in their imagination. And what was darkened? Their foolish heart was darkened. We'll read it down just a little bit for just a few verses. They professed themselves to be wise, and in doing so, they became fools. They changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We're living in a generation when men and women will take the truth of God and will manipulate it into a lie and yet present it to the masses of people as the truth. And you've got to have an ear to hear and to be able to see and to discern truth from error. And I talk about it all the time. What gives us the insight? What helps us? The in, here's what Psalm 119 verse 130 says. The entrance of the word gives light. And it gives understanding to the simple. When you reject the word of God, when you reject the counsel of God, I don't care whether you are a, 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 a college professor, whether you are a scientist, whether you are a politician, or whether you're a preacher, when you don't recognize the word of God and you honor the word of God and you fail to do so, then you are darkened in your understanding. But if you will humble yourself, I don't care who you are, from the White House to the pole House, it does not matter. If you will humble yourself and say, God, I look to your word. I need revelation. I need understanding. Open my eye. Let me see. Let me hear. Then God will give understanding even to the simple. You don't have to be a theologian. Is that right? You can just, God will, God will give you understanding and you can function and discern the will of God. Let's go farther. In days gone by, that darkness was primarily idolatry. Now it's secularist, atheist, humanist. It's even the educated elite among us here in the Western world. But the reality is only Christ can give light. We are to shine 
for his light, the light of truth. We as believers are to reprove, expose, and reveal by the light. It's part of your calling. You're called to be children of light. Are you out there? As believers, it's who the people of God are and it's who we have always been. We're sons and daughters of the light. We are not of the night and we are not of darkness. And we need to be able to walk and live our lives with a distinction and with the revelation that God's called us to shine the light into the darkness because the darkness cannot overtake it. The sons of light in that generation and to the Essenes who the zealots may have lost their battle. The last man succumbing to death on Masada. But let me tell you today, we won't lose this battle because truth cannot be overcome by evil. Is that right today? Let's go further. A very famous passage of Scripture got in my heart recently. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Very famous passage. About Dr. Brasfield alluded to it in his message on um, a light in Babylon, not Babylon. I like Babylon better, however, but it's Babylon, I've been reminded. Babylon sounds, makes, sounds like a good... Uh, Good barbecue somewhere. Like Joe and I will open that when we retire one day. We're going to open a barbecue, Babylon. Come. <laughs> you will, you, come on, somebody. Amen. <laughs> but Dr. Brassel preached that message a lot in Babylon that really was a I went back and listened to it again this week for the second time. So that's the third time I've heard it because it just got in my spirit. And, and in, in this passage, though, real quickly, it was a little bit of that context. And I'm going to kind of exp, uh, expound it even a little bit more. Uh, very briefly today because this is a very famous verse of scripture and I want you to see it but I want you to look at it through a little bit different lens that's often overlooked because when you read this we're going to read at least the first couple of verses here you're the salt of the earth but if the salt has lost its savor or its flavor wherewith what shall it be salted it is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men Verse 14 captures and connects to the theme of this message today. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And if I were to ask you on a personal basis of what's the theological application of this message, I'm going to say that almost uh, exclusively that we would say uh, almost, almost every one of us would probably interpret it this way. And that we would say, well, the followers of Jesus are the light of the world. And that if we don't shine our light, then we are, you know, we're being hidden. We're not fulfilling the call and the mandate. And I would say that's only partially correct. Because that's what I'm going to call this the second layer of application. What we've done in doing so of making this applicable to us, first we have overlooked the original audience to which this message was spoken. And that's what I'm going to draw your attention to because that's what we are in danger of seeing in our generation as well. Let me tell you who this was directed to first and foremost. It was directed first and foremost to the Jewish audience that was listening to the Messiah preach that day. Now, if you go to Israel today, you can find that they believe that this message was given alongside of the, the Sea of Galilee on a mountain. There's a mountainside there because it said he went up into a mountain and sat down and the masses of humanity came to him and he taught them. And that you will there also find a shrine. The Catholics built a shrine there because the pilgrims, if they're going to come, you've got to give them something they're looking for. And that's a way to be able to make money. So you can go and you have no idea whether or not you're looking at the actual place where Jesus taught the Sermon of the Mount. 
but it's important for you to pay uh, for the pilgrimage and to pay for the right to be there. And so, but the point I'm making for you today is, is real quickly, is it doesn't have a, a 21st century application first. It has a first century application first. When Jesus is looking at the Jewish followers, his Jewish followers, and he's telling them, you... You are the light of the world. He's reminding them of their heritage as Jewish believers who received the original illumination from God. I want to remind you that Jesus' ministry was first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That Jesus even said of himself that John said that he came unto his own. He even, when he sent his disciples, he said, don't go into the house of the Gentiles. So what Jesus is doing, he's warning his Jewish brethren that if the salt loses its flavor, it will eventually be cast out. If the light, the light was designed by God to be on a pedestal, and the city that he's referencing is Jerusalem. He's referencing Jerusalem because in Jerusalem, the walled city of the old ancient city of Jerusalem, was the temple. And in the temple was the holy place, and in the most holy place, but there in the holy place, or excuse me, the most holy place, would have been the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark of the Covenant would have been the original Ten Commandments, or intended to be anyhow, the original Ten Commandments. But in the holy place would have been the candlestick, the illumination. And simply put, what Jesus is reminding Jerusalem, reminding the, the listeners, is, is that as Jews, you have received the Torah. You've received the light of God. You've received the illumination. The Gentiles don't know how to worship God. The Gentiles don't know how to relate one to another. The Gentiles don't know not to sacrifice their own children to a pagan God. The Gentiles don't know how to, to treat each other with love and kindness and love their neighbor as they love themselves. The Gentiles don't know any of those things, but you know those things. Are y'all out there today? And he's simply reminding them of their original illumination that they had the Torah. The entrance of thy word gives what? Gives light. Now let you say, Pastor, is that really correct? I'm telling you it's correct. Read even farther. Let's read the next few verses of Scripture, verses 17 and 19. Right there in that context, then Jesus said, Don't think I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not taking from the vision. I'm not taking from your calling. I'm here to take it to a new level. He said, it burned as a candle, but I'm telling you, we're about to add some, some illumines to it. It's about to really burn a bright and shining light that's not just going to go to the immediate world, but it's going to one day go to all the known world. That light's going to shine into the darkness. So he said, don't think I've come to destroy it. I've come to fulfill it. And then he goes on this very familiar passage where he said, till heaven and earth pass away, one jotter and one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law. He said, until it is fulfilled. Well, what was fulfilled? The righteous requirement requirement of the law found its fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. The sacrificial system of the blood atonement of a bullock and a goat proved to be insufficient to bring righteousness to the heart of an individual. But one man offered his blood on the mercy seat of heaven and allowed us to have access and relationship to God. And so today, you and I are made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, not because of our merit, not because of our effort, not because we kept the 613 points of the Torah, but because He did it. God put upon Him the iniquity of us all so that He could declare us all righteous if we simply had faith in Christ. Man, that's a good word, and that's what was part of Jesus' doctrine. That's when Jesus said, I'm going to take it to another level. You read the rest of the, of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, in old time, it was said this way. So but he wasn't taken from the light, but he said, but I say unto you. Remember, 
he said, Moses said, don't commit adultery. But he said, but I'm telling you that if you're housing faults in your mind and contemplate, he said, you are committed. He took it to a whole new level, didn't he? And so when Jesus then, just very quickly, the Torah in limited degree, it revealed God, it gave commandments of God that were necessary for approved living, but Christ reveals God more clearly because he said, I'm the light of this world, right? And the only way you're going to see and know the Father is to see through me. Is that right? Religion will cloud your vision of God. Religion will so Uh, So uh, take God in such a way that you won't have any clear representation of who God really is and his purpose for your life. But if you can get a vision of Jesus, right? If you've seen me, remember John chapter 14, Philip said, Lord, if you will show us the Father, it will suffice us. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long, Philip, and you have not yet seen me? Because if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, right? That's what it does. That's what Jesus did. He was a light to reveal the Father. And in doing so, he brought truth. I'm skipping a little bit of this for the sake of time, Lord, but we're going to move on further. So again, that's the first layer, the first layer. So the second layer was is when his disciples that believed in his messianic message continued his ministry after his resurrection. He said this, I'm the light of the world, but then he said, you're the light of the world, right? So we continue his ministry. Matter of fact, on the first apostolic Missionary journey. We have missionaries here today. So the first apostolic missionary journey, Paul, in Acts chapter number 13, to the Gentiles in a synagogue where both Jews and Gentiles are gathered. The Jews rejected the truth, but the Gentiles believed. And Paul believed that he and the apostolic ministers with him were continuing the original vision of God's people by being a light to the nations. And that has not stopped. That baton, that flame, you know how in the, when they're having the Olympics and they start out with the flame, and one brother or sister runs for a while and they pass that flame to someone else, and then one brother or sister runs for a while and they pass that flame to someone else. Well, you know that when Paul started out on that missionary journey, he carried that flame, and that flame has never been extinguished and is never going to be extinguished because the light pierces the darkness and the darkness will not overtake it. And you and I, whether you know it or not, you carry the torch. You carry the torch, you carry the light, because God has called you to be a child of the light. We're called to walk in the light as he is in the light. John chapter 3, here's our dilemma though. Not a long sermon today, and everybody said, praise the Lord. Don't say praise the Lord to that. What are y'all doing? Trying to give me a complex? (laughs) And this this is John, this is what Jesus said. John the apostle writes these words, and this is condemnation. Here's the problem, here's the struggle Here's the dilemma that we all find ourselves in. This is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. But unfortunately, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. The light often first hurts when you've sat in darkness so long, right? Every parent in here has used that light switch as a tool. Can you remember, you can imagine what it was like being a parent in days gone by when we didn't have the, the electricity that we have today? And, you know, the parent had to walk in with just like a, a flickering coal oil lamp. Come on, Johnny, you got to get up to school. You know, I need you to go to milk the cow. I need you to go feed the animals before you get up. It's 4 a.m. It's just flickering a little bit. But now you got to have, you know, a lumens blasting light into the children's bedroom. Thank God for the generation in which we live in today. Come on, somebody. Amen. And, you know, those children are like, oh, gosh, turn it off, turn it off. Because when it first pierces your eyes when you've sat in darkness for so long, it hurts. Right? Men love darkness. 
I didn't say this. I'm just repeating what Jesus said, the darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Let's read this down. I've used this text before. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light because he doesn't want his deeds to be reproved. He wants them hid and masked in darkness. But even if he doesn't come to the light, it's our responsibility to still shine the light. But if you do truth, you're not afraid of the light. I'm not afraid of the truth today. And if I'm in error, I want to receive truth that leads me to conviction. Right? We're not afraid of reproof, are we? We're not afraid of being corrected. We want to receive it because if I'm corrected, then the matter of fact, if you put this in son and daughter relationship, said, if you can't receive a correction, you're not God's son or daughter. Right? And so I'm willing. So we're not afraid to come to the light because we want our deeds to be wrought in God and manifest in God. But even if the world doesn't come to the light, it's our responsibility to take the light to them. Right, to shine the light. And that could be on personal evangelism, as Brother Robbie uh, testified of, of a few moments ago at a restaurant when you're ministering to a, a server who's ministering to you and she's bringing you earthly food, but you're bringing her heavenly manna. Right? Or it can also be to, uh, to stand against the darkness that's being propagated in our generation as truth or as light. Let me help you with that just a little bit for just a moment before I close. Evil people whose understanding is darkened, darkened often refuse to come to the light. But again, you and I are called to shine the light of truth. I've taken this before, this stance, I'm going to do it again today. Cultural issues have to be responded to. I have two things that I'm going to just quickly respond to this morning because it was a pretty big deal today. And I don't sit around watching, what is that, CPAC or C-SPAN or whatever, watching things that are happening in the, I just catch the glimpses of it later what's happening on, on Capitol Hill. But this week, there was a big meeting on Capitol Hill um, related to abortion. It was a big deal. And it's coming in response to the law that was upheld by the Supreme Court that allowed the, uh, Texas to be able to limit abortion only to the first six weeks. And so it's being really resisted by the abortion uh, meal and the abortion, Planned Parenthood and politicians and the Democratic Party and all of those things. It's really, it's, it's really contentious. And, um, and so you have, everybody knows about it, most likely. If you don't, it's because you haven't listened to me because I've talked about it on multiple occasions. But I want, I want to go. Uh, and so in the midst, so they had a lot of people. So uh, there was, they, they held a particular meeting and the Democratic Party held a particular meeting. They brought a lot of uh, people to come in and speak uh, for abortion and against laws that are restricting abortion. And, but there was one in particular, there are two in particular I want, to, I want to draw your attention to because I just feel like that is light. That's what we're responsible to do. <laughs> because this one is going to... Now, as I do this, though, understand this, that I'm... Not only can I not pronounce Babylon co uh, correctly occasionally, I definitely cannot get some of these names right here. So I'm just going to simply say an abortion activist. So in the midst of this... In this dialogue where they are actually being interviewed there as a part of this on Capitol Hill, here's what an abortion activist, again, who is speaking in favor of abortion, uh, but she said this. She said, I just want to acknowledge a lot of people are being left out of the discussion today. As we know, people get pregnant and not just women. I hear people say over and over again that women get pregnant. But that's excluding people that should be a part of this conversation. Now, if you don't understand what she's saying is, she's saying men can get pregnant. Now, this is not a, a, 
This is not what you would call an idolater in days gone by that, that's lived in ignorance and worshipped at the shrine of Moloch or uh, Molech or Shemosh, one of the ancient deities of the Canaanites. These are educated elitists who are looking at your sons and daughters and saying men can get pregnant. They're saying that because of twofold. They're saying that, number one, that for those that are trans, that have, had, uh, that have, that have gone through the process of uh, becoming um, transgender, that they're still, so if a female goes through certain parts of a surgery, they can still retain the uterus and such and still actually have a baby later. So she can, do all, she can be totally changed on the outside. She's got a beard. She's muscular like me, that kind of thing. And yet all of this is she looks like a man, but she can still get pregnant. That's one, that's one application of it. The second is, is that just simply by the pronoun, that, that if you just self-identify. So if you self-identify, if you are a woman and you self-identify as a man and then you get pregnant, you as a man have now got pregnant showing us that both genders can have children. Now, 50 years ago, we would look at this and go, oh, you're crazy. This is something in Mad Magazine. Does anybody remember the old Mad Magazine? And you would have said, this is taken out of the Mad Magazine. But what's happening today is that, that as this, it is sown in the minds of men and women, it permeates like leaven. And there, won't, there will come a day, there will come a day when a teacher will have to speak to a student in their class, even in the Bible Belt, and when little Susie says, I'm Johnny, and Johnny says, I'm Susie, he'll have to call the teacher, he or she will have to call that him a her or her a him, lest they lose their job. And I want you to know today that we as the light should be able to look at that and say that's ludicrous, it's against creation, it's because your mind is darkened and you're not going to sow that in the minds of our children. We're going to teach our children, we're going to teach our children the truth. I don't care whether it's on Capitol Hill or whether it's President Biden or whether it's the leader of the Episcopal Church or even, God forbid, it's the leader of the Assemblies of God. We're not going to fall for that lie. We're going to hold to the truth. And you would think that a pastor would not have to preach like this on a Sunday morning. But that's not the generation we find ourselves living in. Now let me go one farther than that and then I'm going to close this message. That's the point that many of you have been waiting for all along today. Number two, here's a statement. Takes me longer because I'm not as good on the phone as some of you. Have you ever thought you would hear this from Capitol Hill? But this is what we heard. Abortion is a beautiful thing. Now, let me say this first of all. I know there's a painful side to abortion. And what I mean by that is I don't know it personally in the sense of direct involvement with men and with, with, with families that were, have been affected by it and women particularly on choices. But obviously just simply saying that we know that sometimes women or girls have chosen to have an abortion. And for, for whatever reason, the enemy had convinced them that was the only alternative. But it's never the only alternative. Is that right? We have it in the Assemblies of God, don't we? Hillcrest Children's Home. We've got a place. And many others like that. But let me just go ahead and tell you just real quickly. This was on Capitol Hill. 
And so this is a doctor, once again, a particular name. Now, I know that some of you say, man, our pastor is really ignorant. He cannot say these things. These are not like Joe and Sally. All right? And so it, 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 I'll just show you later, and you'll say, you've got to speak in tongues to be able to say that name right there. I know firsthand, here's what she said, before Capitol Hill, on Capitol Hill, I know firsthand that abortion saves lives. Just think about that for a moment. Now, now it, it saves lives. It, it, now, I know there might be time when the life of the mother's at risk, but I don't know. That's like point zero 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 one of all abortions that are ever performed. Right? For the thousands of people I've cared for, abortion is a blessing. Abortion is an act of love. Abortion is freedom, and we need federal protection now. So when I see that, Here's what I see. I see where Paul said they have their understanding darkened through the ignorance that's in them. And the only hope that we have is to be courageous enough to confront the darkness with the truth. I'm not in any wise saying that there are not women that have struggled with the decision and made that decision and there's inner trauma. There's going to be inner trauma. And I know that some of them are in very painful and difficult this, uh, painful and difficult situations, but the overwhelming majority of, of abortions in America today are just simply birth control on the backside. You know it, I know it, they know it. It's a multi-billion dollar industry, and that's the reason it gets the voice that it's gotten. Don't get me off on that. I'll just The creation, let me say this. I'll tell you what it is. I've told you in the past. It's idolatry. That's all it is. It is the creation saying to the creator, why have you made me thus? I'll do my own thing without any accountability to God. You and I, need to, we need to continue to reprove the darkness. Many things in the history of this nation cannot be defended nor applauded. History reveals a terrible darkness. Yet the history of this nation and the original intent of many of our founders Receive, it is our belief that many of our founders did have a revelation of a desire to shine the light of truth from sea to shining sea. What we're witnessing in front of our eyes is the death of the constitutional republic known as America. Because it takes and it demands a religious and moral people to walk in the light of it. Without his light, our understanding is darkened. Our freedoms will lead to sensual and sinful living, and they have. The idolatry of secularism will lead to humanism, which will lead to atheism, which will lead to socialism, which will lead to communism, and which will eventually lead to totalitarianism, if I could say all those isms correctly. And that's where we're headed, unless the light pierces the darkness and the hearts of people cry out in repentance. Who are we? What does this mean for us? You and I, as I close, you know who you are? Y'all haven't shouted me down today, but I've come along to hopefully inspire you and remind you today. Anyhow, you're children of the light. You have a responsibility. You have a call on your life. I want you to say that. It's not just us pastors with a call on our life. You have a call on your life from our smallest children that go to grade school on, the, on a secular school campus all the way to the young heart that's going to be sitting at a table at Rustic on, on Tuesday at 9 a.m., all of us have a call on our lives. We're called to be light, to shine forth the light. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, and then we're closing. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and a perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. 
So the second layer is secondly true, or is definitely true to Jesus' teaching. Yes, you are the light of the world. You are a city that is set on a hill, and you cannot be hid as long as you remain full of the light and the love of God. So here's what I close with today. Here's my conclusion. What are you and I going to do? What's our response? We've got chaplains that are teaching first responders. Well, what's your first response? What are we going to do? Number one, as we read just very quickly in Ephesians chapter number five, we've got to go to Christ. We go to Christ, and he gives us light. So number one, if you need illumination in your heart and your life, if you're lost, you say, Pastor, I'm a visitor here today. My heart, as you preach, I'm learning. I'm in darkness. Where do I get the light that you're speaking of? You've got to go to Christ. Just simply coming to church is not adequate enough. You must come to Jesus. He gives the illumination. He opens your eyes. He allows you to see. The things have been there in front of you all along, but you can't see them because your understanding is darkened. It takes a supernatural work of the power of the Holy Spirit to illuminate your eyes. Is that right? Number two today, let's go farther. How many of you know the truth is in Jesus? you got to be taught by Christ. Right? We read that text in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 21. Be taught by Jesus, for the truth is in Christ. Right? The truth's in His Word. How many of you know, then we'll go on very quickly, number three, put that one on the screen. It says you got to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You've got to have a mind that's renewed by the knowledge of God because if you're not, the enemy is sowing subtle things in the hearts and minds of all listeners, not just the young adults. That's constantly, that's constantly fighting against the revealed truth of the Word of God. So what do we have to do? We have to become students once again anew of the Word of God for ourselves. Some of our favorite passages that we exhort you as pastors is you've got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you're calling Job Job and Malachi Malichi, you have not been studying the Word of God. Now, don't throw at me if I'm calling Babylon Babylon that I've not been studying the Word of God. But you've got to be renewed. Are you out there? How many of you know the, the lampstand that burned in the temple, the priest had to trim the wick and change the oil every day? Right? Had to, had to have fresh oil so that the light would be burning. So you've got to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I'm going to ask Daryl to join me on this platform as we're closing the message today. Fourth, you've got to walk in the light. Are you out there today? You've got to walk in the light. It's your calling. You're called to walk in the light as he is in the light. When you begin to understand that you have a very unique and distinct calling of God on your life, that you were chosen as a vessel to carry the light of his truth into the darkness of this world, I'm telling you, you'll get up every day, every day with purpose in your heart and life. Everything that you do will then change. It, suddenly then when you go out to eat, you'll go out to eat with a different purpose, won't you, than to just get a meal. You'll go because you'll say, while I'm here, I'm the light. While I'm teaching a student at school, I'm the light. While I'm working you know, years ago, I worked at a, at a, a manufacturing plant in, in, in Conway called Verco before I went into the military. I've told you that before. And we made uh, school furniture. And uh, there were some of those folks that had been there a long time, and they were really good. And, and just putting those little pedal, those little things on those chairs. Man, I can still remember that one woman. She was so good. While she was hammering, she was grabbing and to, to complete that chair. If you work at Verco or you work at any of these factories here in our community of Heber Springs, when you get up in the morning, the light of that building is not what's illuminating it that's provided by First Electric. 
The light of that building is your testimony. The light of that building is your faith. The light of that building is your conviction. It's you. You're walking in the light, and you're representing the light. That's who you've been called to be. You're called to be a child of the light. Are y'all hearing me today? Number five today, just very quickly, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, all of us need to be praying. Come on, I'll make this fast. Y'all stand up with me today. Well, we need to be praying. Father, fill me with the Holy Spirit. That's in that. Didn't we read that, Ephesians? That wasn't that part of our text. In context to the light, I've got to have fresh oil. God, I need to be full of the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the Holy Spirit, God. God, give me discernment. Give me, uh, as I renew my mind, God, let me know what you've approved and what you've not approved of. Are you out there today? God, help me to be able to share and say, when, when, when I'm having this dialogue and I'm having this debate and I'm a young adult and I'm talking with somebody because young adults especially like to have debate and talk and, and, and sometimes the older we get and the more set in our ways, we, we don't want to hear other people's perspective and we walk away from it. But the young adults, uh, they, they don't mind talking and dialoguing and even disagreeing at times. And so as you do so, you need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit with a mind that's renewed in the knowledge of God. Because I'm telling you, the enemy wants to deceive you as well. And you've got to be firmly and fully convinced that this is the truth of God. Number six, he said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. There are some things you've got to walk away from. There are sometimes you got to make a decision. Sometimes you can say, I can't go into that world any longer. I can't join with you in that particular area of our relationship because I have no fellowship. No fellowship. There are some things that you look at and simply say, you know what? I just can't, I can't, I can't yield on this. I can't bend on this. I can't, I, I, I'm just, you know, I'm, this is just the truth. I can't go with you on that. Are you all out there? There are just some things in life. I believe that in the days ahead, I tell you what, I honor men and women that are living their convictions right now at the time they're living them, don't you? I honor men and women that are, I mean, people are having to make some real, some people are having to walk away from their job, right, because they wouldn't do what a particular government mandate came upon them that, that was against their conviction of their heart and even beyond or addressing someone by a pronoun other than their preferred pronoun that disagrees with their biological sex might cause somebody to lose their job, but men and women are standing strong. Come on, no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Why? Because number seven, here's our call, we reprove. We reprove. Reprove means to reveal, make it known. Make it known. Sometimes people don't know they're in error. They've been deceived by our adversary. And only when you confront them with the truth. And I'm not simply telling you to go out here. I'm going to go into the old evil world today of movies from my childhood, Ghostbusters. I'm not trying to send you out here today with like a big machine on your back. And you're looking for every conversation so that you can jump in and, and begin to squirt truth on everybody. Like you got a truth serum. That's not what I'm talking about. The Bible says, just simply be ready to give answer to the hope that lies within you. You don't have to force yourself in the conversation, do you? Sometimes it's just there. But in that moment, you need the courage of God. This message gained its inspiration, not just because I've watched that particular documentary, but I went back to, I guess, echoing the message of Dr. Brassfield, Daniel, a light in Babylon, a light in the midst of darkness. And I was just reminded that we're called to be children of light. 
are called, our heads bowed, our eyes closed. I'm giving a twofold invitation today. I feel honored to have been here to, with you. I feel honored that you've given me this time. I don't want to close this message off without asking someone here today, maybe that you have never come to Christ. He said, awake thou that sleepest and come to Christ and he will give you light. I'm not saying all of your views will immediately mirror mine. They may never. But I am saying this. The only true way to God is through Christ. Not through religion. Not through Islam. Not through Catholicism or Protestantism. Only through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus the Messiah. Only through Him. And if, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I have never or I have not confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Would you pray with me today? Pastor Ray, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I'll pray with you right where you're at today. Is there anyone today? I'm going to give you time. There might be a student today. Anyone here today? Anyone? Anyone? Secondly today, would everybody pray a prayer with me about being a child of the light? I want to pray over you. I want to pray that you begin to see yourself in your calling. That you are called to be a child of the light. The very quick seven principles that I dropped in front of you just very, very quickly. Get them in your spirit. Go to Ephesians. You don't need me. Go to Ephesians. Read that yourself. Get that down in your heart. Know that you're called. You're called. The Essenes prophesied of a battle that they thought was going to take place in their generation. And it was going to be by the sword of the zealots versus the sword of the Roman Empire. Here's the reality. The Jewish rebellion perished. Rome won the battle. That's not the true battle of light versus darkness. This is a battle of truth versus error. Righteousness versus unrighteousness. True access to God or the futility of idolatry and religion. And you've been called to be a child of the light. Father, as the pastor of this fellowship, I pray over every man. Who will pray with me? This is, I, when I finish this prayer, I'm finished today. I'll get the privileged opportunity to go out with Brother Robbie and Sister Betty and take them to eat and show them some local Heber Springs hospitality. When, so when this message, when I finish praying, I'm finished. But I want this to be as much a part of what I preach today as this prayer right now. I want to pray with you right now. God, open our eyes, Lord. Let us see what you see. Let us hear what you hear. Give our eyes illumination. Let the entrance of your word bring enlightenment to our spiritual eyes, Father. And let us be fully aware of the call of God on our life. Whether we are a stay-at-home mother or whether we are a firefighter or a police officer or we work on a school campus, Father, or we're, whether we're, we are a, uh, a senior saint and we're already retired. It matters not, God. We are all called to be children of the light. I pray, Lord, that we will be a bright and a shining light. A city set on a hill, listen to me, that cannot be hid. Father God, that we will let our light so shine before men that they will see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Let us live our lives with conviction and with clarity. And Father, let our light shine, Father, to bring you glory, that the light will shine into the darkness and the darkness will not overtake it. 
That's our prayer today in this house. Bless the people. I bless the people that they will have received this word, that will have received this charge, and they're going to walk out of this room today, as Pastor Joe says often, better than the way they came in. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, amen and amen. Listen, as you are dismissed today.